Hello everyone, I'm Colin Ellis and for 30 years I was a permanent employee of other people's cultures. What I wanted to know more than anything else during that time was how to build a great culture myself. And so I wrote a book called Culture Fix, which is the world's first how-to guide for building great workplace culture. And in this, the Culture Makers podcast, I get industry leaders from around the world to expand on the ideas that I wrote about in the book and get them to share actionable things that you can do to create a great place to work yourself. And remember, Listening is good, but action is better. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another Culture Makers podcast. Today, I'm joined by Sneha Sanraj Kashar. Sneha is a global business leader with extensive commercial acumen and a passion for business as a force for good. She is not only a multifaceted growth leader with proven innovation and sales leadership experience at global scale, she's also a change agent and culture carrier with an ability to inspire. She's currently the managing director of Business Accelerator for Refinitiv, and she joins me now from New York. Hello, Sneha. Hi, Colin. Very nice to be on with you. Awesome. What does it feel like hearing your bio? Because obviously it's something that happens to me all the time. How does it feel when you actually listen to your bio or when someone else is reading it? Uh, very cringeworthy and uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> it's the strangest thing, right? Someone asked me once about my bio after I did a speech on stage. I was like, you know that I write that, right? You know that it's something that I've written about myself. They're like, oh, I thought that other people came up with it. I was like, well, they can. They just ask you to do it. Um, yeah, it is weird, isn't it? It is strange, but no, thank you for <laughs> thank you for that introduction. So where was home home originally? Where did, where did it all start for you? I was born in Kenya. Uh, so I was a third generation Indian immigrant and then uh, grew up in Nairobi, uh, went to university in the UK, came back to work in Kenya for a bit and then moved to South Africa and then the US and back to South Africa and back to the US, which is where I am now. So home is a little bit all over the world for me, but um, definitely origin started in Kenya and Africa is still very much as home for me. Fabulous. And so Nairobi, read a lot about Nairobi, never, never been there. Um, in terms of a city and growth, I imagine it's changed significantly over the years. Absolutely. I think, you know, growing up, it was a very vibrant city and, and very diverse, uh, but really we probably had limited interaction with people uh, from around the world. And I think the trade and, um, you know, business really started opening up in the 90s with, with the rest of the world. And um, now if you go to Nairobi, it looks like any other cosmopolitan city in the world, probably with a bit more traffic, but, um, you know, really, really cosmopolitan and it's a wonderful place. Um, I think it's really a hub for trade across the continent. Now, I read an interview with you about uh, how you got your first job, which I'd love for you to share uh, with everybody, if that's okay. So is this the one uh, at Reuters? Uh, no, it's um, at the bank in Nairobi. the bank. Uh, yeah, okay. Nairobi. <laughs> so, yeah, so I came back from university thinking, you know, I need a job, but I don't know where to where to sort of go to work. And I tried to work for the UN because uh, I thought it was very interesting and they didn't, um, they weren't taking people without postgraduate degrees and um, I, I didn't have the money to fund a postgraduate degree. So then I started looking around at who was hiring and the banks were hiring. And so I literally opened a phone book and I started at uh, A, I started calling all the banks and um, I got to see before I got to a bank that had a graduate program and was willing to interview me and then take me on. And that's how I got my first job. <laughs> 
<laughs> what a fantastic story. That is so great. Uh, and really, I, I love the fact as well that you just went to work for the UN, just like everybody would do, right? It's like, I'm just going to work for the UN. Oh, wait, they're not taking graduates on. I'll find a way. Um, and, and so... Uh, the graduate program at the bank. So presumably the, the graduate program is like a fast track. They kind of show you a bunch of different roles before you settle into one. Is that the way it works? Yes. And actually the bank that I went to work for, CFC Bank, was just implementing their first round um, of a graduate program. So it was really we were all discovering it as we went along. Um, but the idea was that you do a rotation around all the difficult sort of or different parts of the bank, starting with credit control and um, cash management, you know, uh, customer service, um, and then, you know, foreign exchange and some of the other departments. And so I went through all the different departments of the bank and really found that I love foreign, um, you know, foreign exchange and foreign exchange trading, um, which at the time was very relationship driven. So we used to use, funnily enough, Reuters trading systems I ended up working for Reuters over time, but we used to use the trading systems. But really, the uh, the whole trading sort of, uh, I guess, business at the time was very much around, you know, talking to each other, talking to other bankers, building relationships, figuring out where the market was going. And so it became a really natural fit for me. Um, I'm someone who really loves people and loves sort of working with others, understanding um, where people are coming from. I worked in a, in a bank for seven years, so a little bit of foreign exchange, there wasn't too much foreign exchange in the northwest of England, uh, but it was, it, it seemed really, really fast paced. Um, it seemed that you kind of always had to be one step ahead. Was, was that very much the way it worked in Nairobi as well? So it was just emerging, um, really, the market in Nairobi. So I don't think it was quite the same as, as the UK or the US at the time. Uh, but it was really a, a period of fast learning and growth where actually the traders were actually helping each other. We would sit for our certifications together. You know, the the sort of the traders from Standard Chartered or Citibank would help to train the traders from a local bank. It was very collegial um, and, and really, I guess, a, a spirit of just community and a spirit of learning together, uh, which I think was fantastic. And did, did did that then prompt you to look outside CFC Bank at kind of what next? Presumably you went through the graduate program, got a bunch of experience and then really wanted to take that next step. Yeah. So I, you know, I went through the graduate program and I got uh, promoted into um, an officer position in the bank, which is what sort of was the end of the program. Um, and then I was, it's funny, just another coincidence, but I was working one day and at that time we used to use fax machines and a fax came through that wasn't for CFC Bank. It was actually meant for Cargill that was on the same building, but on a different floor. And as soon as I saw that they were in the same building, I just called them and said, you know, I've got a fax for you. And they said, oh, just would you mind coming up and just dropping it off? So I, I went upstairs and as I was at the reception, one of their head traders was just at reception and he said to me, you know, where do you work? And I said, CFC bank as a foreign exchange trader. He's like, I'm actually looking for foreign exchange traders because um, we're starting a new commodities trading department and we need people with FX experience. You know, would you be interested? And I was like, sure. <laughs> no, no idea what it entailed or anything. And I just, I jumped into it and, um, you know, turned into a job for me that ended up with me moving to South Africa. <laughs> series of random coincidences. So that was with Cargill and you, you stayed with those guys for three years. Was the culture quite different from CFC? 
Yes, I think the trading culture was very similar in in both organizations. I was the only female trader in both organizations, and I think it was a very male dominated industry at the time. So in some ways, um, you know, it was a very you know it was it was a it was interesting being a woman in in trading at the time because everything was built around this idea of you know what what sort of I guess men were doing. So for example, they would take their clients to strip clubs for entertainment and things like that, which was very you know I was like I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and then, then the the compromise was they would be like well we'll just go to a steakhouse. And I was like, that's great, but I'm vegetarian. And so, uh, <laughs> so it, was a, it was a series of just finding what's my voice and what's my place in a culture that was very different. But I have to say in both places, the thing that that was really positive was this idea of camaraderie and um, collegial spirit. And and both companies have very fond memories for me. And I've got friends that have continued to be my friends um, for years later, just because it was such an incredible bonding and learning experience and, and a real culture of curiosity and learning and growing together. And for you personally, you know, it takes a lot of courage to to challenge those kind of existing norms, which I'd love to say are now a thing of the past, but they still occur in some industries, unfortunately. But for you, almost standing up for your own values, challenging those ways of doing things, and then having, I guess, the foresight to, to develop a different way, that must have taken a, a whole heap of courage at that time. Yeah, I actually found when I was first working in this industry, I realized quite quickly that I would get my own voice subsumed. And, you know, it was either fitting or stand out. And and one of the things I had been really um, wary of was standing out in an industry where I was fairly new. Um, but at the same time, I realized I didn't really want to fit in with some of the stuff that was happening. And I, and I felt that you could keep some of the pieces that were good about trading and learning and curiosity, but actually, you know, shift it so that it makes it more comfortable for someone who's not, um, you know, of the club um, coming in. And so I think it wasn't so much. I didn't think of it as courage. I think I thought of it as I, I really have to find myself here um, and I have to make sure I don't lose who I am in, in the sort of spirit of where I am. That's fabulous. I, I was speaking to someone not so long ago and, and she said, oh, what, what do you do if you don't want to be part of the club? I said, you start a new one. Yeah. <laughs> I said, and then it you is. encourage people who are like you to join your club, you know? I always think, I always say that. I say, you know, don't don't play the game, change the game because I think that everyone has the ability to do that, right? Everybody um, is always evolving. Every company is evolves, every culture evolves. And so if you don't like something, then you have to be the voice of where you want it to go. I had a really interesting experience when I was working for Reuters in the women's network. And um, at the time, I didn't like some of the stuff that the women's network was putting on. I didn't even join the women's network because, you know, I saw them as kind of almost um, keeping the stereotype of, of how women were seen. And so, you know, they would have Excel classes for women and a couple of other events that I was just like, oh, no, it's not how I want to be seen. And so I didn't join. And then the head of the women's network came to me one day and she said, you know, it's really easy to sit on the sidelines and it's a lot harder to be the voice of the change that you want to see. And um, it was a really good challenge. And I said to her, you're right. And um, I joined the committee and I eventually led the network. And, you know, I, I sort of shaped it in the way that I thought. But I also learned that I had a lot of preconceptions about the network that weren't right. And I had to really correct myself. And I, I think that's, for me, the importance of like, you, you can go in and change a culture, but you also have to understand a culture and understand what's good about that culture so you can build on that while you're trying to move towards where you want to go. That's a fantastic share. Now let's talk about um, Thomson Reuters. So you joined those guys in the early 2000s and came in as a project manager in in, in financial markets and then 17 years really and then well at Refinitiv um, you're still at Refinitiv now so you've been with the organization a long time which to me says a lot about the culture. So what have you learned in in that time that you've been there and talk through some of the roles that you've had as well. 
Absolutely. So I started off in project management on the trading systems. And one of the things I loved about the culture from early on was even just, you know, when I when I applied for the job, I got a call from the recruiter and he said, your resume doesn't have any of the things that are listed as requirements for the job, but you used to be a customer. So we're very interested in speaking to you. And 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 I really like that. So when I went to interview and I spoke to them and I thought, this is a company that really isn't, they're not rigid. They're very open-minded around how they look at things and they really think about the intent of where they're trying to go. And that's been true for me from the day I joined in 2001 to today. And it's one of the reasons why I've stayed in this culture is because, you know, it's a company that's, that started in the 1860s with news, you know, with carrier pigeons crossing the Atlantic. And, and today, you know, we're in the cloud, we're, you know, we're talking about AI. And if you look at the evolution of an industry around information, data, and news over those years, it's very clear that to survive and thrive and to be a leader in that industry, the, the company has had to stay, you know, really relevant and has to have changed over the years and the culture has to have been really leaning into where the world is going. And so that that's why I've stayed. I've really loved that part of the culture. And there's always good and bad in every role that I've had. You know, I've had project management roles, program management, um, operational roles, you know, transformational roles, turning around businesses. Um, I've led our Africa business uh, for several years. I now lead our business accelerator, which is around creating new growth businesses for the company. And in every single role, I, I do feel that this evolving culture is a very attractive thing for me. And, and that's the reason why I keep staying. Because when, when you joined, you were, you were there for 13 years and then you went Back to South Africa, I think. Um, so what, I suppose, what did you take from New York? Because obviously it's quite a different social culture in South Africa. What were you able to take from the US, take to South Africa, and, and you'll have spent a good few months getting your feet under the table there, really assessing it as kind of head of Africa before making incremental changes? Was it a case of, here's something that works in the US, let's put it in South Africa, or a case of, listen, here's one or two things that I know work well. How do we make these happen uh, over in South Africa? I think one of the mistakes I made when I landed in South Africa was thinking I knew what the culture was in Africa and that I knew what the culture was in New York and therefore I could be a really good bridge between the two. You know, both cultures had evolved, um, you know, and especially South Africa had evolved quite a bit um, while I'd been away. And um, and so when I landed, you know, I, I sort of landed with this mentality of I'm going to bring this global brand, you know, and my knowledge of how the company works in New York to Africa and I'm really going to help the Africa business grow. And, you know, and with that came a lot of preconceptions around um, how people should work. Like, you know, when, when people in, in our South Africa office would log off at like four o'clock, I'd be going, where is everybody? Because <laughs> in New York, people would be in the office till seven. And, you know, and this idea that, um, you know, that work kind of trumps everything um, became almost an, a sort of unconscious part of how I behaved when I was in New York, just because it was around me. Whereas in South Africa, people really take families seriously. And so they would start the workday much earlier, right? So people would be in the office by seven, but then they would actually go and spend time with their families. And once I stepped back and I understood that, you know, I, I didn't know everything and I actually had to really revisit my assumptions. And I think that's an important thing to do whenever you walk into a new culture or a culture you think you know is just to really observe it and listen. As soon as I realized that I, I wasn't sort of um, really understanding what the culture was and what the value of the culture was, I, I stopped and I just listened. And the other thing that was very different was um, my team in, in Africa was 67% millennial 
Um, and so very, very young team. Um, and in New York, it wasn't, you know, it, it was a much sort of older team that I'd worked with. And so when I landed in Africa, I think I made some assumptions around even just the way that I ran town halls or I ran meetings. And, and you know, a lot of the young people in my business were like, no, I, this isn't me. Like, I don't turn up for a town hall, you know, get me on Facebook Live. At the time Facebook was, was, was interesting, that would be TikTok or Instagram. But, you know, I think the you know, the, the reality of like I was in a different place and I had to really listen and understand who I was speaking to and what the culture was before I decided how I wanted to shift, um, you know, and adapt, I think was was really important. Being a leader, a big part of that is your own evolution, Sneha. And and it's a lot about listening to other people, learning from other people in order you can get those insights into how you need to change, how you need to grow. Is that something that you're always aware of? Are you are you always looking at yourself and say, okay, well, what is it that I don't know? Or, or, or how do I need to change the way that I communicate? Is that something that's kind of ever present for you? It is. And I think I've become more aware of it, um, you know, as I, as I sort of grow in my career of the importance of just making those those moments for self-reflection, for asking for that feedback from people for really listening. I think I spent a lot of the early part of my career doing lots of talking um, and, and I'm trying to spend more of it now really listening and, and learning because the more I listen, the more I actually get real value and insight and, I'm, and I grow. And so, you know, I've always kind of had a sense that it's important, but I've truly made time for it and and sort of prioritize it um, in my career these days. And passion for for culture, where, where does that come from? Is that a desire to create? You said, you you know, you have this real interest and fascination around people. Is that a desire to create safety, belonging, connection, those kinds of things? I think it's more just that, you know, when I started working both at the bank and then Cargill and then Reuters, there were certain things that I would notice would be good in a team where you'd get good outcomes and then certain things that were bad. And I'm, I've always been somebody that's just fascinated with how people work. I did politics um, and international studies at university, and a lot of it is around how people think and work. And, and one of the things I would notice is like you could have the most talented group of individuals, right, put them under really tight deadlines, give them all the resources in the world and they would fail. And, and then you could have a ragtag bunch of individuals that kind of came together and were very little with very little resource and very little direction and and just would blow the lights out and and so for me that became really interesting and I was always drawn to the ragtag bunch of individuals type projects right of like give me the stuff that isn't perfect give me the stuff that is raw that 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 can actually you know be worked on that has potential and the more I did that the more I started to think about well what are those things that make those types of teams really successful and it's the culture it's this idea that they somehow together make more than the sum of their parts that each individual in that team grows through the process that they make each other better and that they're working towards a common outcome that is more than each individual person's aspirations and so the more I kind of leaned into that the more I've just been like intrigued by, wow, that's how you create value, right? You think about the word value. That's how you create value by taking something that, that you, you know, is raw and unfinished. And then actually when you finish it and you pull it together is much greater than just the sum of its parts. So that's kind of how I leaned into it. And I've just been fascinated by it ever since. And if you think about my jobs, you know, it's the, the, the things I lean towards, are like those growth opportunities, those underserved, you know, the Africa uh, business, I think was very underserved by our global business in terms of the size of the opportunity and what we could do with it. And the same thing with my current role, which is around creating new businesses um, and scaling them for the company. I really lean into that 
that opportunity. Yeah, and I wanted to talk about um, scaling. So talking about your your current role at, at uh, MD, Managing Director, Business Accelerator with Refinitiv, because one of the things that I see, and I've talked to this myself uh, in the past, is organizations, you know, and we see a lot of startups, they're really great at coming up with ideas. They're really great at developing the ideas. But the real challenge comes when they have to scale the culture to continue to meet the demands of customers and the demands of staff as well. You know, it's that it's that the, the, the two challenges. Do you provide advice as well, Sneha, on how to scale the culture along with the business? I think that's probably the most critical thing, right? Like anyone can come up with a list of objectives and, you know, key results and say that you're accountable for doing it. Now go do it. And, and you know, if you're a really small startup and you're hungry enough, you'll probably get to a certain point with that. Um, but, you know, once you start thinking about scale, scale requires you to operate seamlessly in a way that is greater than the sum of its parts, right? So it can't be dependent on one person's ability or knowledge or skill. And so in order to achieve that, you have to get everybody motivated behind a goal and moving in the same direction and able to overcome obstacles that will inevitably come up. So, you know, I think it's an, a really important part of thinking about how you build a business. Um, it's a critical part of thinking about how will that business scale. There is no way, even with the best product in the world um, and the best pricing, that you will be able to effectively scale your business if you don't have the right team culture and the right willingness for everyone to actually work together. Fabulous insight. I just want to finish by asking you about legacy because it's it, it's something that I think most leaders subconsciously think about. I don't think it's ever kind of front of mind. Like, Today, I'm going to leave a legacy. What would you like your legacy to be, Sneha, in terms of the impact that you have on the people around you? I've actually become very clear on that over, over the years. I think one of the things I'm really drawn to and my purpose is really around people and about uncovering potential and people that sometimes they don't even know they have and helping them really achieve that. And I think that applies to businesses, to people, um, you know, to economies the same way. I really believe that the thing I can really contribute is to empower people to and, and businesses to be the best they possibly can. And so for me, my legacy is watching people that I've worked with or that we've, you know, we've had some shared experience together that has helped them catalyze into something that they really truly should be. And, you know, I, I always look back at some colleagues um, that worked with me and actually the impact they're having on the world. And, you know, I've got fr uh, friends and colleagues who now run large parts of, you know, global businesses, have started their own startups, are making huge impact in charities. And for me, that's the legacy is actually you know, at what point did we intersect and what did we catalyze in each other that allowed us to get to that point? And so, yeah, that's the, the only way that I think of, of legacy or impact. What a brilliant way to end the podcast. Sneha, thank you so much uh, for joining me today. And uh, thank you so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. Please remember to subscribe or share the link on your social media platform of choice, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, wherever you hang out. You can also forward it onto your colleagues and friends and help them to inspire and motivate others too. Better still, why not keep the conversation going and join our community of culture makers from around the world who share information on the things that have worked and haven't worked. You can do that at www.culturefixcommunity.com and remember, sharing is caring. See you next time.